0: Welcome to the next edition of Shooting the Shot. Um, we got another great guest, but first to introduce legendary CBO, Executive Vice President, Larry Friedman. Myself, LAFC uh, defender, legendary veteran. Appreciate that. And today we have on an even bigger legend than you and I combined. And that is Mia Hamm, two-time World Cup winner, two-time gold medalist. Um, might get overlooked, four-time NCAA champion at UNC, which I can appreciate. Um, looking forward to talking to her.
1: Can't wait. Can't wait. Owner of LAFC, great human, and someone who has been in the capo stand in the North End, leading the 32-52. And here she is. Hey, Mia Ham.
2: Yeah. yeah, what's up?
1: you like my shirt
2: yeah loving it
1: all right I'm the one who panders to all
0: guests yeah I know perfect timing and we just got done with the intro uh, so we went through all your accolades right off the bat so we didn't want to we didn't want to bore you with that because I'm sure you've heard it all uh, many times
2: now I just want to make sure Larry's heard it <laughs>
0: I understand. So I have a feeling this is how this uh this chat's gonna go. Is, yeah. is Mia Mia talking we, crazy? We've hilarious. spent a lot
2: of a lot of time together.
0: Yeah, and uh <laughs> we 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 should get it out of the way
1: now, Mia. Shout out to Mark Joubert, friend in common, yeah, troublemaker, extraordinaire. We'll just get right into it if you don't mind.
2: Let's do uh, it.
1: We've got some soccer questions, we've got some non-soccer questions, um kind of all over the place. But found it fascinating that you were in fact, born in Selma, Alabama. And the last thing I think anybody thinks or that comes to mind when they meet you and get to know you is, here's somebody from the deep, deep South and wondering if your ultimate pump up the jam song is Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, in certain instances, depending on how many drinks I've had, uh, it, it, it might happen. No, my dad was um, career Air Force, and he uh, went to flight school. There used to be a, a flight school, Craig Air Force Base in, um, in Selma. It has since closed, but uh, myself and my two older sisters, we were all born there. And um, yeah, my dad, uh, we spent, I think after I was born, it was about a year and then we moved. He um, was able to finish his uh, master's degree over in Europe. So we got sent to language school out in Northern California. And um, he and my mom kind of did the accelerated learning of Italian. And um, yeah, then we went over to Florence for about a year and a half to two years.
0: And is that where your soccer uh, passion began? It's,
2: in, in it's Florence, where watching my watching those games. Yeah, it's passion where for my the game? my dad knew nothing about it. But uh, imagine, I think they were in their late twenties. He and my mom with three girls, and they lived in a small pensione in the middle of Florence, with surrounded by. Um, Italians. So it's not like he was on an American military base or anything like that. So, and he befriended um, a neighbor who would drag him to Fiorentina games. And he was like, oh my God, i like, I've heard of soccer, but I've I've never witnessed anything like this. The passion and, and how, um, you know, people would just sit in front of their TVs for two plus hours And it was like the country would stop whether Italy was playing or your local uh, club team.
0: And you bounced around from Italy, then you went to Wichita and then you ended up in Virginia, right? And Virginia is like a hotbed for youth soccer and and college soccer, obviously, but in Virginia is where you became competitive and started to really take it serious. Or was that after that?
2: Well, I I competed in, in uh North Texas. I mean, Dallas was kind of the strongest environment for soccer at the time. And uh, but most of the time where I was from I played AYSO soccer and then kind of and most most of that was co ed, which usually meant it I was one of maybe two girls on the team if there was another girl on the team. Um so I was it was pretty consistent in terms of just playing on co-ed. And then once I moved to Virginia was really the first time I played high level competitive club, uh, girls soccer. And it was like, I went there and it was on, I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) And, um, you know, high school soccer was really big in Northern Virginia. So I went to Lake Braddock high school. I played for the shooting stars. And um, we won the state championship there. I want to say over half my team went and played Division One soccer as well as the boys team. So I was, you know, it was one of those things for my career. It really was a slap in the face to see how intense and uh, committed these players were.
1: So you, I'm going to jump around on Harvey because as the true professionals that we are, and we take this very, very seriously, we, we map out the Q&A.
2: You combed
1: your hair for... Yes, you like know. it? It's yeah, it's, it's really, good. It, it's really growing out during this COVID thing. What um, product do you
2: use?
0: <laughs> it's more of a, a paste, I think. Yeah. Wax, maybe. Um, yeah.
1: But you mentioned Lake Braddock and the shooting stars, and this is one of these moments where you realize how closely knit the world of global football is and how the game brings people together. Uh, shout out to Rich Orozco. Uh, our head of branding community, he and I are in, in a little town called Dortmund, Germany. It's signal at park in 2017. And I bump into a, an American mom who is there watching <laughs> her little boy play for Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. And we get introduced to these guys from LAFC and Kelly Pulisic immediately says, Oh my God, my friend Mia, is an owner of your club and she and I played when we were younger which of course I don't necessarily believe because you hear stuff like that all the time (laughs) but I texted you right away and you were like oh my god calming influence in the back blah blah blah
2: yeah she was (laughs) she was legit Um, we played both high school and club together and uh, she was one of those players that she you know she was in in the olden days we used to play with a sweeper oh yeah with uh, beckenbauer yeah oh yeah she was she was our beckenbauer and uh you have to have kind of a tactical cerebral and, and calming um disposition to play that that position and and she was all those things we could set play out of her but just constantly organizing the back and front so um no, it's it. It is a small world, um, and it's great to see, you know, the success of of Christian, and I know so much of his personality and his drive. Um, you know, people talk about his dad, but but Kelly's right up there with him.
1: And how about the just the beauty of how it comes full circle, and. BVB comes and plays the first international friendly at Bank of California Stadium against LAFC. And Kelly is bawling her eyes out from uh, one of the uh, field suite seats with her feet on the grass because she just can't believe it. She can't believe that her son is playing for that club. And here they are in LA in the United States playing against a team that her former teammate and good friend Mia Ham is an owner of.
2: Yeah, well, I I can't imagine what it's like as as a parent to to see your um, your child, even if it's just one day, fulfill a lifelong dream and to know everything they've put into it. And like I said, Kelly is just um, she's just a rock star of human being. She's just so grounded, down to earth, and just to see. The pride that she has um, with Christian is phenomenal. And, I mean, what what an incredible club to be a part of as well.
0: So, you know, growing up in Mission Viejo, California, like like I did, I don't know if you knew that. Can um, you
2: swim? I just want to make sure. Can you swim?
0: <laughs> that is all we did in Mission Viejo, Yeah, California. no, because
2: Julie Fowdy is from Mission Viejo, California.
0: Yeah, no, I know that. I absolutely and know that.
2: And we did a swimming, like, relay race with the national team once, and I was like, sweet, I've got Julie Foudy on my team. Like, she's going to swim anchor.
0: She's <laughs> from the swim dive
2: capital of, of the country, of the, of the world. And the Natadors.
0: Jumped... They had the Natadors. It was like a whole swimming club. It was huge. Yeah. yeah.
2: She, she jumped in the pool, and I don't know what she was doing, but it wasn't swimming.
0: Well, she stuck to soccer, apparently. Yeah, no,
2: no, it's, it's, but I just thought it was, you know, walking, swimming, then soccer. That's kind of what you do there.
0: I mean, my dad uh, grew up on the water polo team um, in high school, and my brother uh, was the captain of the surf team. So sports are more water-based than anything else. I feel like in Mission Viejo, everybody goes to the beach, does that thing. So, um, I don't know Julie Fowdy, but when I meet her, I will pass that by her and, and find out the real reason why, um, why she doesn't know how to swim. But I was hit with in Mission Viejo, and I'm sure Julie had – I know Julie had a lot to do with this, but you uh, in particular had, uh, you know, a huge impact on uh, women's soccer, obviously, and club soccer in Mission Viejo was huge. And we had the blues, and I, you know, grew up playing with uh, – you know, a lot of uh, girls from different clubs and everything like that. And you had such an inspiration um, in that area in particular. I just, it was so evident, obviously, with the World Cups and everything. My question to you is who inspired you growing up? You bounced around, you were in Italy. um, You know, you had a a large family, you know, one of six. Um, I'm sure that breeds a lot of your competitive nature, but who inspired you to these great lengths?
2: well first and foremost it was my brother garrett um you know like you said there were six of us he both my brothers were adopted when i was about four and a half five so my brother garrett was eight when we adopted him and then my younger brother was two months old and um so i was the fourth in line which means you kind of you're invisible half the time (laughs) growing up and But when Garrett kind of stepped in and he he came into the family, he was just this amazing athlete. And I remember I was like, oh my God, this is so awesome. First of all, he was getting all this new sports equipment, which my dad was never going to buy me until my brother showed up. So it was like, sweet. (laughs) I remember, I think we were like at Montgomery Wards. That's where we shopped a lot. And um, my dad got Garrett like, a red skateboard so i was able to get a blue skateboard and i was like this is you know this is going to work out for me like and um your
0: favorite sibling by far yeah
2: exactly (laughs) but but more so um he just let me hang out with him because i i love playing sports like it's what i did and it's what filled me up didn't matter what was going on so I would kind of hide behind him, follow him wherever he was going in the neighborhood on my bike and jump into whatever games he and his buddies were playing and um so first and foremost that for me was was who inspired me. I mean I I watched him play, you know, weekends for the Ham family were jump into the VW orange van, um drive to the to the soccer field you know, we'd get there about seven thirty, and my dad would referee, and you know four of us would have games throughout the day, and you'd lived off of snow cones and hot dogs and um but i would I would always try to watch his games because he was so good.
1: And if you fast forward from that, where you know your your older brother was inspiring you. I have shared with you a number of times that experience of walking through an airport and seeing like a 20 by 20 <laughs> Mia Ham advertisement. Um, what's it like for you when you're walking through an airport or have you had the experience yet with your kids where you're walking somewhere and wait a minute, isn't that you mom?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and is it like, you said the fourth being invisible to now being on billboards like larry said that's got to be like a lot different
2: yeah no it is and and with your kids it's it's pretty funny um we see it a lot when we're in atlanta hartsfield um and so i remember going through hartsfield with them and they're like wait (laughs) is that you and i'm like yeah they're like you look a lot different and i'm like Different, you mean? I look better now. <laughs> and so they're. I can see in their brain. They're like, "Wait, what do I say?
1: How's this going to end?"
2: And uh, no, but it's 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 fun. I I crack up. I occasionally get texts from friends, and they'll be like, "Why are you yelling at me?" I'll take a photo of it. Um,
1: and then to swing it all the way back to Orange County. Um, you have had more than a small hand in helping uh, Z and his brother Walid uh, with the Slammer and grow yeah. the game for girls and women in Southern California.
2: Well, that's, you know, that relationship started through Nomar and his family. So, Nomar's youngest sister was the first ever team that Ziad and Waleed coached, girls' team. Um, and uh, so they became very close with his family. He tells a story where the parents, after the first season, weren't very happy with Ziad and Waleed. And um, Nomar and his dad basically convinced the parents, you know, no, I, I think they're going to be all right. I think they're good coaches. And uh, Ziad would say, I would show up to practice in, like, jean shorts. and. Thought I was so cool, and um, but about 2008, yeah, 2008, 2009, I kind of took a year, and and uh, Ziad would pick me up. He was he was living with uh, Marie up in West Hollywood, and he would dry down every Tuesday. I would I would do sessions with them and uh, down in Orange County. So we would spend at least an hour each way in the car and just talk about life and his experiences. But he really let me kind of said, hey, the session is yours. And you know, playing and coaching are are two totally different things. And so I really had to think about the game and how you organize a training session and sessions that I liked, but as well as talking to him and what he felt the players needed in, in that week. So trying to make sure that there was continuity from the warm uh, to the technical session to the, and then tactical, and then you get your numbers bigger. So I learned a lot. I grew a lot. And, um, just, you know, I think our friendship just deepened because of that. And like you said, it, it just made it a no brainer when we were chatting with them about, about the possibility of including the Slammers as part of the LAFC
0: family. Going off of that, we wanna talk about, and we've done it with each guest that we've had on, it's called Start Cut Bench. Now, we wanted to narrow it down, um, but you have so many championships and gold medals here, it's difficult. So we have narrowed it down to, we're taking out the World Cup um, in the US in 99. So we're narrowing it down to your two gold medals, the Athens in 2004, Atlanta in 1996, and then your 1991 World Cup. Between those three titles, what would you start, cut, bench?
2: I would start the 96 Olympics. Atlanta. Yeah, it was, I mean, everything happened so fast. It's what I grew up as. I think most Americans watching and uh, just thinking of playing for your country in the Olympic games. And ever since I was little, I was like, I, you know, i don't do gymnastics. Maybe I can figure something else out. And <laughs> even if that meant I was a volunteer, I was like, I just want to be a part of that. And then, you know, in ninety, I think 93, I remember in, in college, uh, we got the word that we were going to be in a, a full medal Olympic sport because a lot of the time you're exhibition first, and then um, but they put us in as a full medal sport in '96, and to do it in your home country, it was like oh my god. Um, so the next is is cut bench, bench. Um,
0: we just I- assumed we just assumed that the 1990 World Cup was like at the top because of all the hype and yeah yes yeah. and everything so we, we just took that one off right off the bat because that was the start we thought would be but now hearing you talk about the 96 gold gold medal maybe that would have competed a little bit
2: yeah i mean bench it's i don't know it's so hard it's like picking your favorite <laughs> child
0: oh, we all have one
2: yeah um <laughs> i guess i guess i I'd, I'd bench um, what did you say? Oh, four.
0: The Athens gold medal.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that means you're cutting the 1991 World <laughs> Cup, China.
2: <laughs> I, see, I mean, what? Cool. What is it? It's. And I only say 91. It was because um, no one even knew we won. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> we, to be honest with you, so. Um. FIFA was like, okay, we're going to fly you over to China for the Women's World Cup. And we're like, you know, Federation's like, great. But you actually have to fly through Europe and pick up the European teams. And then fly through, A- you know, we- it was crazy. And flew to Hong world. Kong. Yes. Wow. So rather than, you know, meeting in San Francisco or Los Angeles and flying over and it be like, you know, 14 hours. No, we, uh, we went all the way around the world (laughs) and we had to do that on the way back. So it's not like congratulations, you win. Yes. So we went back. (laughs) And um, so yeah, celebrate
0: on the way back, right? We did. I mean,
2: we did. But, you know, that long of a flight, they only can carry so much alcohol. Right. And you know, because it's a full day, it's like the last place you want to be, you know, sick is on an airplane. (laughs) Um, but I remember landing in, in New York and we walked off the plane and there were three people waiting for us with flowers and two worked for the airline. So it was like, yeah, no one, no one really knew what was going on. And and that's the only reason I say that. I mean, it's, your first, it's the first World Cup. It was. We didn't know what was going to happen after that. It wasn't even called the World Cup. It was called the Women's Championship for the M&M Cup or something like that. Really? Yeah. So there were a lot of things that are near and dear to my heart. But when you look at it, people are, it, it wasn't taken as seriously in terms of the way it should have been. Um yeah,
0: of course,
2: so it that's the only reason I'm cutting it is, is because
1: <laughs> so a tough question, yeah, so let's get to one that was treated much differently, yeah, and remembered much more fondly nineteen ninety nine and the the final, I was watching a little YouTube highlight the other night, and as the game is going to PKs, the broadcasters are commenting on the fact that the, your teammate, I believe it's Michelle Akers, mm-hmm. who would normally take penalties, was out of the game. And the, the commentators are speculating on who's going to be in the five. And they immediately say, with the camera on you, well, Mia Ham. You know, this isn't something she normally does, so she probably won't be in the first five.
2: Sometimes your best scores are not your best penalty kick taker, so everyone's probably
0: expecting Mia Ham. What are your thoughts on that? She doesn't take the normal PKs for this team.
2: My guess is she may be in the, I don't know if she'll be in the first five, but she may be relied upon when it comes to sudden death.
1: And then, sure enough, there you are. Yeah. And Harvey and I were wondering, did you lobby the coach in the moment? or or how did this come about
2: well i mean michelle michelle got punched in the head she was beat Um, up i remember that. yeah no she she had a torn rotator cuff which she got from our quarterfinal game um celebrating with the fans she was high-fiving she was on cement and a fan instead of high-fiving grabbed her arm and so she slipped Uh, on the cement, and um, basically tore her rotator cuff. And then she had, she had Epstein Barr, so chronic fatigue. I mean, this woman was like IV bags every, the entire week before we played, and especially after. And then she, it's a corner kick, and Bri comes out to punch the ball, and kind of goes through the ball, and through Michelle, and she's pretty much done. But but we practiced PKs after every session, you know, every day of the World Cup and and even training leading up. But the entire World Cup tournament, I could not hit my penalty picks with any sort of pace. Like, I just, I don't know if I had more weight kind of on my plant foot. So I wasn't going through the ball. So I had no, I had zero confidence. It's not like, Oh, the goalkeeper's just making a good save. Maybe I'm tipping stuff. I just couldn't make clean contact. And I couldn't figure it out. So when the assistant coach says, hey, you're number number four, I was like, really? Like, have you not been watching me in training? <laughs> like, it was, there's was just no sting behind the ball. And so she kind of just looked at me and said, you're our leading scorer. You're taking one. And I said, All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's do this well and, and that's then, crazy and mm-hmm. then
1: uh, scurry makes an early save so yeah. now you're coming up in the four position maintaining the advantage no pressure right
2: well yeah Christine was right after Bryce uh, saved it so she was number three Bryce saved there three and then yeah so when I'm coming up on number four I'm walking up and it's funny because when you watch it, you're, you you're just,
1: it.
2: yeah. But the whole time I was telling myself, I looked at one spot on the ball and I said, that's all I'm thinking about. I don't, I just want to hit it with pace. Cause if I hit it with pace, I have a chance. And I knew which side I wanted to go to. Um, I also knew she was much stronger to her right than she was to her left. You could just see, you know, goalkeepers have a, a favorite leg they like to push off on and, um, so i hit it well and went in and the look on my face was more i was like pissed off at myself for for doubting um (laughs) and then i i was just grateful that it went in
1: well you buried it have you have you ever thought back on it and wondered like if it wouldn't have been better if you had been in the five position and could have Uh, been a celebration and
2: No, you kind of go through – like you you look at where you fit in and the coaches look at where you fit in, and they kind of decide for you. I would take some in games, but we always – they were always uh, predetermined. So if we had a PK, it was um, Michelle, then Brandy, then Carla, and then myself, like if it happened in the flow of a game.
0: Are you the only player that they kind of told was going to take it? Because I know in a lot no, of they penalty kicks, to. I know in a lot of penalty kicks, the coach would go like, how do you feel? Like, are you confident? Do you feel like you want to take it? But like, with you maybe not having the confidence, do you think that they had to just be like, you're taking it? Yeah. Like instill the confidence be- in you?
2: I think that's better. And now um, being a parent, like letting your kids kind of sit and stew about it rather than just saying, hey, guess what? Um, you're jumping. And, yeah. and, uh, I think for me, just the confidence behind the appointment was so important as well. Like basically you're number four, Yeah. not like, how do you feel? You, Cause as yeah. soon as they start making that face, you're like, oh, like but- it's as if you get, <laughs> you get smashed in, in the face and your teammate runs up. And they're like, is it bad? And you're going, no, yes, it's all right. It looks good. Like immediately they start freaking out. So.
0: But, but there's also the pressure of if a coach just comes up to you and asks you to take one, in, inherently because you want to like appease the coach, you're just like, yes, I can take one. Even though deep down, and I've had that feeling multiple times, where I'm like, I am not confident whatsoever, but I'm going to say yes because I feel like, I have to because they asked me to take it, just like you're saying. So. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's one of the things that – one of the reasons why I like um, not just in, in the five but in the flow of a game, you, they're, it's already assigned. Yeah. And then those players, uh, like if that if that player ends up having a knock, like they're the ones that were fouled or they've been kind of limping around the field, that they, they have the confidence to go to the second in line and say, hey, it's yours. Like, um, so, you know, with youth soccer, as soon as there's a PK, it's like, you know, eight hands rise up, and they're looking at their coach, me, 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 where whereas, like, oh, it's so much better. Just, It's already predetermined.
0: <laughs> well, it's also a World Cup, so there's a bit more uh, pressure on that. There was a moment, uh, you're not going to remember this whatsoever, but growing up on the youth soccer teams. I was on an under 17 national team and we were together for two years. So I was there when I was 15, 16. Um, we had a uh, like an exhibition game. Uh, it was like closed doors against you guys in like 99, around 99, 98, I would say probably 99, 2000. Um, I want to know if you actually even remember that one. Where was it? man it must it was on the east coast it uh it must have been either florida or somewhere in the carolinas
2: my guess it was probably i remember playing um down near the the miami dolphins like fort lauderdale area
0: yeah absolutely we were in we were in sarasota so it was we'd always bus anywhere and everywhere we could get a game but and we, we, played.
2: we trained outside Orlando. That was kind of our home base there up in Lake Mary for 99. So. Um,
0: but I remember that experience like it was yesterday because we were so excited. You guys have come off so many championships and everything. And I was like a 15, 16-year-old playing against, you know, the women's national team. We were, you know, the most excited we had been to play against anybody, even into the World Cup. And I played against you. I was playing either center back or left back, and you were up oh, top. No. So it was oh, a no. highlight. It was a highlight of you know youth soccer and youth national team for me. But
2: well, that's thank the point. you, thank you for for you know playing against us. Those are such hard games <laughs> for you guys. I remember, um, you know, there were some teams we would play, and there were some guys that were like would come onto the field, and they would be in their mind, I'm going to see how many times I cannot make you know these women. And so, growing up playing with guys and knowing what that meant, I was like, "Oh man, there was one time this guy like nutmegged one of my teammates and started laughing, and next time he touched the ball, I was just like <laughs> just bladed him. I'm like, there was
0: none of that. It was all <laughs> respect. Uh, you know we had we had guys like Eddie Johnson, Mike McGee on the team yep. at the time, and everybody was super respectful, and we just really enjoyed it. And we even—I mean—the highlight was like walking to the field with you guys and walking off the field with <laughs> you guys because we were able to like have a conversation and like yeah. you guys were celebrities yeah, we... and you know you you just talk about how you inspire the youth women and it's like you also inspire the men as well so I appreciate that.
2: Well, thank you, thank you.
0: So
1: I I have a series of quickie LAFC related questions. Sure. If, so.
2: Tell- what's my pregame meal um, no
1: no no, no. <laughs> yeah. how did you come to be a part of the ownership group
2: well through through nomar actually um he was when henry and tom penn because nomar knew tom from working at espn and uh, they would see each other a lot and they were the thought was bringing a uh, either taking over Chivas, that was one option or building, you know, a brand new club. And so Nomar being from LA and, and he had a cousin that played for Chivas. And so they were asking him a lot about the history of Chivas, both in Guadalajara and then obviously here. And then things kind of shifted to that's not the model we're going with. We want to start our own club. And, um, Next thing you know, I'm having, you know, breakfast with the three of them, Nomar, Henry, and Tom. And they're like, we'd love for you to be a part of this. And, um, you know, met more of the potential ownership group. And I was like, I'd be a fool not to want to be a part of this incredible, dynamic group of people and what they're building um, with LAFC. And so you know, it's, it's a lot of fun for Nomar and I to be able to do it together. And, um, you know, and then obviously our love for the game, it being such a huge part of my life. And then now being able to kind of share it with, with our kids, you know, cause sports is about, and life's about relationships and, and us being able to be a part of LAFC, but creating the memories we have with our family. Um, you know, sitting shoulder to shoulder as we do at the game and seeing the kids, you know, hold their scarves up and, um, you know, sitting in with the thirty-two fifty-two, and see their face light up when, um, you know, we score. Everyone's hugging, high-fiving. Um, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: So speaking of building the club, the first time I met you and I barely remember it. I know you remember it more vividly because it was yes, great you. <laughs> but we're, it's 2015, no name for the club, no colors for the club, hadn't settled on LA as a location. We're looking in Orange County, we're or- Long Beach, the, S- the San Fernando Valley, all over the place. And we end up, at goober's house yeah and we have this branding session and first of all i end up sitting next to you and i i can't speak because i can't <laughs> believe i'm sitting next to mia ham but for me or
2: because the, batman was staring at you
1: well that was part of it too goober's batman statue is a little imposing yeah but the craziest thing that i ever experienced and i'm curious on your recollection was to be in a meeting, to have a computer at the head of a table where eight or 10 other people are sitting together in person. And you have Tony Robbins on Skype. And even when he's not physically in the room, he kind of commanded the conversation and didn't just command it through attitude and, you know, his persona, but he had come armed with all of this research. I was telling Harvey how Tony was spouting all of these facts about talking to people at Sporting KC and the type of music they play in the venue and what they don't play and how we need to think about that. Just curious about your memories of that session long ago and far away.
2: Well, what really struck me, I mean, you know, Tony's one of those people that, it, it's not just a cerebral experience or an exchange. It's it's There's an emotional exchange happening. And so um, that, that experience kind of makes you kind of sit up and go, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. Like, I'm going to learn, you know, I'm going to learn something here. And I just, one of the things I walked away with in terms of what we wanted for our club was when Peter Guber says, whatever we do, we have to be authentic. Um, that because people can kind of see through everything else. You have to be real. You have, you have to do what you say you're going to do and you have to be what you say you want to be and, or you're going to be. And so I just remember leaving that meeting, um, you know, committed to that, like, who who are we and um we have to live up to really high expectations but as he said it's so worth it like this is you know when we go home at night or the the hard-earned money that our our supporters spend to, to come and celebrate our great game um are we serving them in in the best way possible and so that's one of the things I'm most proud of about this club is that it represents, you know, our club and that's top to bottom. That's, you know, from the ownership group to our supporters, to every player and staff member, it, it looks like Los Angeles. And that authenticity is why people continue to want to be a part of this club. And that's the pride that, that I see every single day.
1: So, speaking of, I think it would surprise some folks just how involved you are at times in what goes on behind the scenes. You've done LAFC Ladies' Nights. You recently did a a happy hour with all of the women on the staff. And I don't know if you remember but as I said to Will Farrell, I have the video to prove it. Uh, <laughs> you actually have laid down recruiting videos for us.
2: Hey Jessica, it's Mia Hamm. We would love for you to join the LAFC family. And I know together we can make a difference.
1: There was uh, a woman who we were trying to convince <laughs> to pick up her life and move from a good gig with the Tampa Bay Lightning And come 3,000 miles and join us at LAFC. And I texted you after meeting her in Tampa and asked if you could do a little video to try and influence her. And I don't know, maybe three whole minutes went by before you hit me back with a video.
2: Wait, it was you that was asking for it?
0: Yeah, sorry.
2: (laughs) Oh, shoot. I thought it was Tom.
0: Yeah, she, she she wouldn't have done it. Well, so this, is, this is why I think I I think the video was really really
1: good, but Jessica ultimately didn't take the job because it was with me.
2: Oh, okay.
1: If it had been to you, it would have been a different story. Yeah. And no,
2: I. Sorry. Go ahead. I'll go ahead. No, I I think you know one of the the wonderful things is is I've been included in a lot um and i've been able to sit at the table and learn from everyone a part of our ownership group and at every level uh from LAFC i've never felt that <clears throat> i've been put in positions to grow but not fail and um you know that for me is important because i have a certain skill set that maybe someone else doesn't have. And I think we've been very conscientious at making sure that um, whoever's put out in front with LASC on their chest, once it comes back to that authenticity that they're speaking from a level of confidence, but that there's an emotional investment there. Um, You know, I can't tell you what it's like to, to produce a movie, I've never done it, (laughs) Um, but I can tell you what it's like, and what sports means to young girls, because of what it meant to my life, and how it changed um, the opportunities, and the trajectory, um, and where I am today, and those lessons, I'm now transferring on to my kids, and, um, you know, we have really kind of, strong-minded, confident young girls and um, a son who believes his sisters can and should be able to do anything.
0: And that's, you know, led the way in terms of now there's a majority ownership group of women uh, that run the St. Louis, which is amazing. How do you feel about being one of the first MLS owners, female?
2: I, you know, I feel incredibly grateful and, and proud and I think, uh, like you said, the trend is, it's just trending up and, and more and more women are, are becoming part, not just of the ownership group, but of, of coaching staffs. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing that happen. I think MLS, you're going to see it more. And, but it's one of those in terms of knowledge and experience and, and be able to give a different perspective and um i know it's something john and i have talked about not me personally because it's it's not a path that i've chosen post career but um you know it's something that they've talked about and so you know you're you're seeing it happen and i'm just proud to be on the early side of it and we'll continue to support the growth and the development of women in our game and at every level so how
1: did it come to pass that you ended up as the co-lead in the Will Farrell introduction as an owner of LAFC at the Crest Lawn? Did, did you guys draw straws and you got the short straw or you got the long straw? How did it happen?
2: No, I think, I think they looked at who else was a SAG member or had been a SAG member. (laughs) You know, between Nomar and myself, it was like, ah, I had seen Will's movie. So I, I, it was so funny because they, they threw me into the room with them and they were like, Hey, Mia's going to introduce you. And I was like, awesome. And he, I just remember him looking at me going, you know, I really love soccer. Like, I love it. Like, this is not, <laughs> you know, this is serious for me. Like, my wife played, my kids play, we coach our kids. Like, this isn't a joke that we're a part of this. And I'm like, I got it. I love it. And you see it every time he's there. Like, they're, they're the best.
1: It is true. So, one last lafc question first match in seattle we win we go down and try and get a chance to see harvey and the other guys on the team down by the locker room and in this crazy moment and there's a picture in my office to commemorate the moment i end up standing and having a conversation with you, Nomar, and Carlos Vela. And for me, it was like living that Sesame Street skit where it's like one of these things is not like the other. I I just still can't get over, every morning when I walk into my office, back in those days when you could walk into your office, um, that that even happened.
2: I know. Three out of the four has have like world-class hair I mean, <laughs> it's just
1: yeah it's not you know, carlos
0: it's not
2: carlos
1: <laughs> carlos and nomar are like gold medal hair yeah it's i mean weird.
2: i i had a shampoo commercial so <laughs> there you go
1: oh well thank you for teeing up harvey to ask you about your gatorade commercial
0: yeah I mean, you and MJ, we're going to go into what you're doing right now. But, you know, with the last dance uh, consuming everyone uh, over the last few weeks, um, what was your experience like doing that commercial with MJ?
2: It was it was so awesome. I remember um, getting the call saying, hey, they want to they want to do this. You and Mike kind of competing against each other. And I was like, what? really (laughs) he's like yeah and they they sent me the the boards and i was like oh this is gonna be awesome so the last thing i wanted to do was was uh to mess up i was you know like mj is like my older brother um we would shoot hoops off you know when we were on set just waiting for them to set up the next shot um you know his son was on the set so we'd play 2v2 and i'd be sitting there i'm like are we like i know he's not going to go after it but are we allowed to win like can we win (laughs) one of those things but the the judo flip was one of those things that we just did in one take like they were talking about how to how to do the scene and and i just kind of grabbed him and he helped but we didn't talk about it. I just turned and flipped him and he kind of jumped over and they were like, wait, that was awesome. Can you do it again? And we're like, no, that's it. That's about it. That's all I'm not, I'm not throwing Michael anymore. Um, But he made it so much fun. You know, he, he let me into his world. And, and I think someone that, um, you know, grew up watching him play, we went, we both went to Carolina. So his legacy and lore was, was there long before I ever was and um, to know that he had to give approval for me to be a part of the Gatorade family. And um, they said it was a no brainer for him. So uh, with the, the first ad I ever did was the be like Mike and I had to, I had to sing a section of it. Oh God. Yeah. So they had me in a limo. I, re- I remember and, that.
0: I remember yeah, that. I, yeah, I've heard it.
2: Yeah, it was super cold in Chicago. And and um, yeah, I remember I was like, wait, you don't want me to like juggle a soccer ball? You want me to sing? Like, I don't think you remember what I do. And <laughs> so they're like, no, no, it'll be great. It'll be great. So I spent the afternoon just doing boom, 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 boom. I think that's all I had to do.
0: I'm warming up the vocals.
2: Yeah, I'm confused
1: now. You sang on a national television commercial, but one of the conditions of letting Harvey and I interview was you was no singing.
2: Well, I'm much older now. There's been a lot of stress and strain on my vocal cords.
1: It's those kids.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And and the LAFC (laughs) games. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: (laughs) Through (laughs) walls. Do you have any fond memories of the year give or take that you lived in Chicago when Nomar was a member of my Chicago Cubs?
2: We loved it. I mean, it's it's such a great city. Um we were lucky to not live there from like November through you know March. You're too smart. Um it, but it was i don't know it's such a clean walkable city the fans were so receptive and kind to to us and um you know i i don't know i'm i'm a big fan of of history and sports history and being able to to be a part of the cubs and walking into Wrigley and all you know just being able to live that for the short amount of time we were able to do it, and you know for a young couple, we kind of it was fun like he would it was like he went to to work from nine to five I mean majority of your home games are at one, so he was done by five we'd be like, yay, let's go out to dinner um, <laughs> rather than you know a lot of the times he would get out at eleven thirty midnight and Um, you know, have to be at the ballpark the next day at noon. So it was, it was a, we really enjoyed it. It's such a great city and the people are amazing.
1: That's great. So speaking of Nomar, um, I was remembering an NHL trash talking moment the other day that Patrick Waugh, the goaltender for the Canadians and the Colorado Avalanche, had with Jeremy Roenick, again, of my Chicago Blackhawks. And at one point, Patrick Waugh said, I can't hear what Jeremy's saying because my Stanley Cup rings are blocking my ear. And I'm just wondering if, if at any time when you get into it with Nomar, you, you say something like, I, I can't hear you because my gold medals are clogging my ears
2: no i just say hold these (laughs) um (laughs) now occasionally he'll say you know the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a baseball and i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) no he's 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 incredible at what he did i always laugh i'm like honey you can get hit by a 95 mile an hour fastball And not shed a tear. But you get a sore throat. And it is like (laughs) death is is on the doorstep. Like I cannot (laughs) figure this out.
0: Did his did your girls turn him into mush as well?
2: Yeah, he's he's much softer on our kids than I am. He's like, come on, they're not gonna they're not gonna live with us forever.
0: Is everybody staying sane during this time in quarantine?
2: Uh, somewhat. You know, our our middle schoolers are are hanging in there. They uh they have a lot more academic commitment than our second grader. We we try to keep them occupied and uh NoMar's got them doing like push-ups and stuff in the back backyard and <laughs> I was saying we're we're playing wall ball. I don't know if you grew up playing that.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. tennis ball? Yeah.
2: But the problem with social distancing is if you accidentally throw it over the wall, you're probably not (laughs) going to get the ball back, if ever. (laughs) Because people are like, I'm not touching it at least for three days. And then you might get it back. So with the yards being what they are in Southern California, that happens a lot. It happened today. (laughs) We were out there playing
1: when Harvey goes to training or returns to training tomorrow, it's kind of gonna be the same thing. If somebody else's ball comes into his quadrant, he has
2: to Not let him to touch it.
0: Yeah. No, I think the other player has to run away from it so that I can go and actually retrieve yeah. the ball. Yeah.
2: So you, guys, you start up tomorrow?
0: So we're starting up tomorrow, and I, being the elder statesman of the team, um, in, in picking up the earliest slot, has to be the 7 to 8, but the 8 o'clock is the earliest slot, and I don't think anyone else is even, even considering it, uh, the 8 o'clock slot. <laughs> Everybody's like noon or later. So yeah. um, I think I might have the whole field to myself. We'll see.
2: I'm sure you were so excited to get back out on the field
0: just to have a field. I've been running in the street out front, you know, or, you know, lifting in my garage. So uh, to have a space to be able to work out and put some cleats back on, I think yeah. that'll, be, that'll be amazing. Um, I, I don't know if we want to finish with a bang. I, I know there's no singing, but I, I do want to see if, oh if, my maybe, gosh. If, if maybe you've had a few uh, grapefruit margaritas in you, if you'll uh, bust oh, out man. the uke real quick.
2: The uke? <laughs> what, what what's great is there's like four chords that you can play.
0: Do you have a, a song? Is there a song that you've learned? Um, or just a beat? Just give us a beat.
2: You know what's hard is the strum. I mean, you yeah. play so just a little a little banger. Well, they have um, um, the island strum, and you have to like you have to do the chuck Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And I struggle with that. Like I can do
0: the first one. You can lay these great. So so you've just started playing since being in quarantine.
2: Yes, and I and I'm thinking about this is a beginner. Like if I got my kids one, yeah, this is what I would get them. It came with a case and a tuner. There you go. So you're good to go. sounds okay but i want a richer deeper so i'm like in the market for i'm i'm getting ready to to take the next step and invest in a little bit more
0: my brother plays the ukulele um you know i I alluded to him being a surfer and and he like has adapted everything so he plays guitar plays ukulele and it's like a nice little bonfire jam session. Just throw a beat out there and you'll have a good time. That's awesome. I will ask him what a good ukulele uh, brand is, and I'll, and I'll send you. it to you. I'll send Thank it to you. you. And then once you- And I'll you, keep
2: practicing.
0: There you go. And when, you, when you've learned that first song, we'll, we'll ask for a recording.
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, it, I will, it, it will not be any original material. Maybe oh. we can
1: uh, maybe we can work you into one of the festivals when we get back online at Bank of California.
2: You do want to make money, right? <laughs>
1: hey, the, <laughs> the, the tickets will sell out. I'm yeah. not sure of that. <laughs> yeah,
2: it'll be a comedy rather quickly.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for making the time, Mia Ham. It is always great to talk to you. It's great to see you. We miss. Good seeing to see you. you at the
0: bank.
2: You're looking good, Larry. You're looking good. Well, I think it's because I let the hair grow out. Thank you
0: very much, Mia. I really appreciate it. Jordan, take
2: care and and best of luck to you. Enjoy being out on the field again. Send
0: send our best to the family. Stay safe. I will. You too. All right. All right. Bye. Thank you.